0: From 11FS, I'm Simon Taylor and this is Fintech Insider News. Today we bring you Britain's banks predicted to reveal the biggest profits since the financial crisis, the latest announcements from the RBS Remedies Fund and Santander pays IBM $700 million to help them transform. All this and more on today's show. Welcome to episode 299, almost 300 already. of fintech insider we're coming to you live from the 11fs office in devonshire square london i'm simon taylor and i'm joined by mr david breer how are you doing
1: Super good. Um, I was saying I'm like kind of tired, like late night last night, and I'm old now, so that's apparently a big deal. So uh, <laughs> That hurts. But like, uh, I've got a beer in hand, so I feel like my powers are returning a little yeah, bit, topping which is good. back yeah. up, it's
0: like, Boo, boop, boop. I know. You, you got the life. It is. can continue the life source, but we're not alone. We're joined by some incredible guests this week. Um, a pair of CEOs. First up, of course, is Tom Blomfeld, CEO of Monzo. How are you doing, Tom?
2: I also had a late night last night, but... Um- <laughs> excited to be on the show. It's Thank making you. that
1: sound suspicious. We weren't together.
3: Can...
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you did see each other across the
0: room and little <laughs> winky faces.
2: It was it was adorable. Um how's life at monta Good. It's great. Yeah, really, a lot of exciting stuff happening. Just uh I think 2019 is going to be a big year for us.
0: And stuff and of course Romy Savova, CEO of Pension B, back on the show. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing pretty good. How are you?
0: Really, really well, thank you. <laughs> and Life of Pension B, you guys are going from strength to strength.
4: Yes, absolutely. Lots of growth this year, um, and that comes with challenges, opportunities, and all the other great stuff of running a a scale up. <laughs>
0: nice place to be is scale up. Um. Also, uh, just to remind you listeners, if you can't get enough of us and you want to see us as well as hear us, if you're gluttons for punishment, we've uh, we brought back Fintech Insider on air every Wednesday from 3 p.m. We're live on Periscope chatting about the latest topics and trends in the industry. So keep your eyes on the 11FS Twitter for more news on that. But enough about seeing our faces. Let's get back into the news. First story, there's 24 billion reasons to be impressed. Um, story from This Is Money, uh, the £24 billion pound bonanza. Britain's top banks are poised to reveal the biggest profits since the financial crisis. Um, so Lloyds, Barclays, HSBC and RBS made a combined profit of £23.9 billion pounds last year, an 85% year-on-year increase. The last time the big four lenders made more than 20 billion was 2007, not a harbinger of doom. And of course, um, the legal costs and PPI fines um, that have followed then have really hurt that. So what do we think about this one?
1: Hooray! The good times are back. Like, call off all this fintech nonsense, and uh, there like, are no
0: clouds on the horizon. Yeah, at all. I
1: think greed is good again. Let's just go back to the you know the, the heady days of banking, shall we?
0: Everything is well,
4: awesome. I don't know. I mean, I think you need to put the numbers in context. Um, the big banks are much better capitalized now, and so from a return on equity standpoint, um, I think the numbers are great. But are they really as great as they would have been in in two thousand and seven?
0: It's an interesting point. You have got to bear in mind balance sheet, not just pure profit, exactly. of course. Yeah, and, and I think also consider where we are uh, in that the industry has moved on in those years. Um, yes, we've seen uh, increasing competition in the marketplace. But I was with uh, a bank CEO earlier, Tom, who was saying that uh, you know the the big four banks in the UK have got more accounts than ever. So you know, is this just the return
2: of the good times, or do you see real competition? I'm
0: guessing you might say yes,
2: but just yeah i think it's i think we'll see real change over the next 5 years or so um but uh, i don't think any of the big banks are complacent by any means I mean, they're all looking at the digital challenges and figuring out how they respond which will be interesting to see
0: hmm. Interesting to see for sure. Do you think this um, feature parity thing is is going to be more of a trend? So we saw um, a lot of the banks starting to look at uh, how do I start to do some of the features that you see with some of the challenger propositions and banks out there? Do you you suspect we'll see more of that?
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the the direction of travel is one way. Mm -hmm. The question is how quickly will they be able to execute? Mm -hmm. Um, And will they be able to actually achieve that feature parity or will the fintechs constantly stay ahead? Uh, because if the fintechs can constantly stay ahead, then you have a chance of kind of, you know, keeping your customers. Mm. Uh, but I think if if the big banks are starting to catch up, it, it does become a bit more challenging.
2: Yeah, you wonder if they're, they're um, there's a, f- a phrase from Ice Hockey, you've got to skate where the puck is going. Okay. And I think they just sort of see what the current state is and say, oh, that's, that's our product roadmap for the next three years. But by that time, I think the puck sort of, sales off into the distance. So I think there will be a fundamental change in banking business models over the next three, four, five years. What you've seen so far, it, fair to say, is relatively superficial change mm-hmm. that's relatively easily copied. But mm-hmm. I think that's, that's starting to change.
4: I mean, I do think the narrative has moved on from, are the banks going to be the dumb pipes of the ecosystem? Mm. That was a conversation that people were really having about five years ago. Mm. Um, and I think the answer to that today is, no, they're going to try and fight. Hmm. Um, and so it, it will be interesting to watch it play out.
1: Yeah, I think the the sort of argument against all of that is usually anywhere where it's sort of heavily commoditized requires like very low operating costs to actually make that type of thing actually happen, which hasn't been the case in in banking. So if you became just that dumb pipe, you'd never be able to actually make that model work at all, really. So And we're seeing more and more people kind of come into the market at that back office space, not just from a, you know, fintech to start with was very much about the veneer you know it was the it was either payments or it was like sexy stuff on top of other things and now actually we're seeing it not to your point in fact to both of your points this is about agility in its true sense not just sort of fancy post-it notes and whatnot but being able to do things in three weeks or six weeks or whatever and um, to be in that situation where you're constantly moving where the pocket is to to keep sort of uh, keep everybody on their toes
0: and the, the traditional business model um to your point tom about the business model changing was always about can i cross sell you and can i get you into the profitable products mm. um what's my net interest margin uh, and how am i you know how, how am i attracting that real sort of billions on the balance sheet not hundreds of millions when you say business model change do you see that dynamic changing or
2: is is that going to be the game but how you play it changes um i think this is something we've been saying for three or four years and in in fairness haven't yet done it um but i think the change comes from um cross sell on one balance sheet to what people have called a hub and spoke model or a sort of marketplace model which hasn't happened yet Mm -hmm. this idea that um as a consumer, I think you want a single interface, a single place to see all of your money and to to control it. But to get the best choice, the best um, service, the best price, often having dozens of different providers to provide those solutions that, that then aggregated around platforms. I think the internet's particularly good at providing these sort of aggregating platforms. And we haven't really seen it in finance yet. But I think that is a difference. I can't really see the point at which HSBC starts cross-selling at Barclays Mortgage. It's always the HSBC mortgage. Mm. I think that is the, the fundamental shift. That's when the tipping point comes. It's interesting. Yeah,
4: I think it's about creating value for the customer. And I think the the point at which we are at from an innovation perspective is, I can aggregate your stuff together, come and have a look. But a lot of people say, well, I can just do that on my Excel spreadsheet. Um, and there, there is real pushback as to whether it's creating value or not. Mm. Um, I think that when we cross the barrier of really giving the customer value, um, so give you a concrete example in the pension space. You know, it's, it's great to be able to see your balance next to your current account, but can I somehow use that knowledge and that information to provide people with a better retirement? Because once you're providing a better retirement, it's way more useful than anything you can do on your own spreadsheet. Mm, yeah. um, and I think that moving to that additional value add proposition is probably where the fintechs will lead. Yeah. Um, and the question is, how quickly will the banks be able? Yeah, it really—it's
2: like the so what. Like we've yeah. we've had account aggregation, but so what? I mm-hmm. think we need that that extra sort of value whatever you want to call it that kind of that really compelling reason that that makes mainstream consumers go ah oh, that's that's what we were banging on about all this time i think that link between every
0: day and the rest of my life is a really interesting place to play sort of what uh, the the common argument uh there's millennials spend too much on avocado and toast so you end up with oh all of these gosh. Uh, yeah which which is a pet peeve but don't get me wrong but there is something really interesting about that whole, like, how my, so we were talking about this the other night with um, Marco from Solaris, which hmm. is that how do I start to think, uh, what are the nudges, what are the defaults, what are the behavioral things that I can do to help people think longer term every day? And everyday spend is a really interesting place to be in terms of awareness, but what else can I do besides making you aware and allowing you to track that That guides you with with gentle nudges? And you've always got that advice guidance barrier that becomes tricky but that seems like an interesting space to come at it from both sides really
2: yeah i love this sort of long-term versus short-term kind of dichotomy that i in january everyone signs up for a, a, a year-long gym subscription <laughs> but at 7am in the morning ha- how many people are actually dragging themselves out of bed giving people the tools to be sort of long-term sensible and rein in their short-term uh, impulses Things just fascinating.
4: I, 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 I would love it if my app could help me maintain discipline to be <laughs> honest. Every morning when I cross by Pret and I think am I going to get that coffee or am I not going to get yes. that coffee and you can just do that mental calculation of how much it works out every single year. I think it really does stop you from going into the into the shop.
1: But but I but I guess that's, you know, very you know, very similar to the well, the banks sell products, and actually most of those products are in a, a minefield of of how they actually make revenue. So, yeah. you know, the the gym memberships are smart because if you sold it monthly, nobody'd have one by February, right? So, you know, from a, a banking context, then actually, I'm I'm not sure yet. We. Yes, I think we've seen many of the big banks kind of get fintech, as in, like, understand some of the, the elements, understand some of the threats. But I still think they're using shapes and colors of yesteryear when it comes yep. to business models. That doesn't actually relate to where things really need to go. You know, we, we talk a lot about the difference between products and services. I don't think we're seeing anything from the big financial services companies that are actually services yet. Uh, and when we get there, I think it requires whole scale new business models to, to really sort of work with that way.
2: Yeah, totally. It feels like the financial product is the center of gravity in the big banks. Everything else sort of orbits around the mortgage Mm -hmm. or the loan or the credit card. I think if if the center of gravity is the human being and sort of solving problems for real people, then you can make, sort of everything else has to shape itself to work for the human. It's so
0: a different starting action. point, isn't it? And it, it, it's interesting, the design choices that you make when you're able to um, architect around those archetypes and their jobs. It, it, it does get interesting.
1: Architect around archetypes.
0: That was, <laughs> yeah, you did well there, dude. That was impressive. Uh, I mean, I'm half a beer in,
1: so <laughs> stick with yeah. me. I, no. I feel like I'm back now. I feel slightly <laughs> like Popeye yeah. with a can of spinach. Like I've gone through a pie <laughs> (laughs) I'm good to go let's go on to story let's pop by it Um,
0: well I was just going to say um, I just want to throw in the Brexit dynamic before we do move on to the next story are there any um, sort of is Brexit going to be you know what is your perspective on Brexit and what this means for the UK banking sector do you have any thoughts there
4: I mean I think the vast majority of the UK banks serve the UK market Um, and so as long as you are protecting the domestic you know offering which I think you can do I hope that the impact will be limited. Uh, I think the question comes in around the regulation and how much will it truly increase complexity uh, for those institutions? Because a lot of the times the barrier to innovation is all the other stuff that you have to do that's really complicated, but you have to do it hmm. because the regulator says so. Uh, and to the extent that you know Brexit makes you do a lot of really complicated things, it, it may hinder them Very from moving quickly.
2: Any thoughts, Tom? I think the queue at the Irish uh, regulator to get Irish licenses is very long at the moment. <laughs> if, uh, I think that's a fair point. Um, I'm going to move I'm, to the next story.
1: I, I'm, I'm like imagining that like a queue at the post office or something. It's yeah. like uh, you're waiting for the your ticket to come up. That's, yeah. that's nice. Like, I, I think it's interesting. I think like the fintechs have got probably more to worry about brexit than the big banks have to a certain degree because most of the big banks are kind of retreating you know they're on the defensive they're kind of moving back to markets where they feel secure whereas Growth most of heavy. the the you know the fintechs are actually in the uh, you know the, the challenger banks like yourself tom are in the space where you you're going much more on the offensive yep. meaning actually not being able to passport out of here and all of the uh you know the sort of ambiguity that comes with brexit is more of a challenge i'd say
2: i think that could be fair yeah
0: uh 700 million dollar transformation partnership story comes for an extra. santander strikes a deal with ibm to support their business transformation program <laughs> um so uh the uh, there's a five-year agreement um also that uh, ibm have done with uh, icbc argentina uh, hyundai card kia motors um the santander de- deal however is a five-year global technology agreement as a part of a business transformation program they're going to move to the it infrastructure that's going to be apparently and this is this is the term, hybrid multi cloud environment tapping into IBM's AI, blockchain, and big data offerings. Potentially using <laughs> IBM Watson.
2: <laughs> I'm just gonna let I'm just gonna let that run. Uh, I don't
1: I don't know what all this means. What does uh, it mean? They've it's got a lot. bit
2: of everything. Yeah. Just, they've gone into their their grab bag of bullshit bingo and just we'll have all of it we'll have each buzzwords for everyone you don't mean
0: you don't want some watson blockchain
2: (laughs) (laughs) did did somebody say we've
1: got this amount of money how can you make it up to this amount it looks like that doesn't it it's like when i when i tell my kids they've got like four pounds to spend on pick and mix basically and they like go around and make it up to 700 million pounds somehow (laughs) (laughs) i think that's
0: a great example
1: because why is it a
0: press release that you're going to spend a load of money with somebody
1: confusing, isn't it? And this is not the first one of these. You know, we've seen actually Lloyd's come out with a, I think it was 3 billion yeah. that they were going to be spending on outsourcing to IBM. So it's just like, yeah, I thought we'd got past this. Like, didn't you? I, I, I Part of me is like appalled. Part of me is like, actually, what does it actually take to do the run operation within Santander? Like maybe the run operation currently within Santander is, you know, 2 billion a year or something crazy. So actually what they've done is outsourced to a fixed price deal with IBM where they feel like they're getting a bargain and IBM for 700 million feel like they're getting a bargain. Yeah, in
0: isolation, the deal probably made sense given what they were paying and what they could be paying. Like I can imagine why as a rational actor, that decision would look good. But if you step back from it, that's when it starts to look a bit bit mad and I get th- I totally get why IBM want to do the press release because yay share price but
1: well I, money money yeah. money always that works
0: doesn't yeah, it yeah we did I thing. yeah but like I don't get the bank side of that like I've got a supplier but-
4: well I think it's more to signal that change is mm. coming um, and I think that it's you know it, it's about making people believe that mm. you are going to become technically I guess superior to what you were yesterday um, but it does also tie you in, I think. So now that you've announced this to the market, people are going to want to know how the progress is going.
1: Yeah, sets um,
4: expectations. Yeah, and, and these big transformations, I don't think they have a very good history of working out on time and on budget. Yeah,
2: you never, you always see the headline at the start, right, the sort of 700 million commitment. Never this this transformation program delivered on time and here's all the great things that happen. It sort of quietly gets... Yeah, the results
0: at the end of the
1: transformation program. You say, there's another one starting. Yeah. Oh, good, there's
0: another one starting. But when did the last
1: one end, and what yeah. did that do? That is true. Yeah, there's never the victory lap at the end of these things at yeah. all, is there? But like, to be to be fair, this has worked though, hasn't it? We've seen uh, yeah. who's the guy who was at Barclays, the Australian guy who was Michael Hart. Yeah, so Michael Hart pulled this move at. It It was
0: ComBank Australia with SAP. Yeah, Yeah. there
1: we go. So outsource the whole thing. We don't understand it. This is hard. Outsource it. Get the unit cost right down. Once it's been commoditized and actually simplified, then insource it to a point where you can actually start managing it effectively. So
0: Michael was my old boss at Barclays and His frustration that it wasn't fast enough, it wasn't cheap enough, and it didn't deliver what he wanted at the outset. So I think whilst he did the impossible, he took 10 coal banking systems, rationalized them down to one, half their operating costs in the process from a pure tech perspective, he was still frustrated that he couldn't do what he really sure. wanted to do with it. So yeah, I think it's, but it makes sense. Like if, if I, as a CIO, turn around and say, I've halved your operating costs,
1: I mean, that's the dream. It is. Yeah. You can stand back and go, okay, that problem that I had that was keeping me awake, is now IBM's problem, yeah. right?
4: But then you have to really wonder, well, what is your competitive advantage? Uh, and I think for a lot of the banks, they, they actually see themselves as technology companies, but if you're a technology company, I would expect you to do most of your technology yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm not I mean, so I mean, they say that, but like, I know, I know they do say that. Well, they, <laughs>
4: the thing is they're... Is so much technology yeah. within the banks. I uh, will like, argue about whether it's good or not, but there is a lot yeah. of technology. It's and- like
1: I see still see myself as a basketball player.
4: But <laughs> yeah. like, you know what I mean?
1: Like <laughs> no, right. that's not gonna work out that very yeah, well, no, you know. It's
0: kind of gonna be my point. If you have to keep saying we're a technology company, you're probably not a technology company. I agree. It's it's what it's yeah, anyway, it's like a head of digital. I know a lot of good heads of digital, that's not an insult at those individuals. It's the need to create that title. Um also the CIO from Santander has A great name. David Chaos um, says, we think this agreement with IBM represents a great um, support to our strategy of constant progress while protecting our investments in technology. Um, They'll have the flexibility needed to support the constantly
1: evolving business as a bank. Do you know what? I genuinely just thought David Chaos was like a note to me.
0: I was, say, yeah. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, fair enough. <laughs> Stand back, I got this. I think it's just a good alter ego for Friday morning when you've got a hangover. Of just like, oh, David Chaos is in again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next story comes from This Is Money um, and Financial by World First. So the Chinese takeover of a, of a major british payments firm sparks national security concerns so ant financial is buying of course world first for a reported 550 million pounds the deal apparently could give ant financial control over sensitive financial data of millions of payments processed on behalf of uk citizens a similar deal between ant financial and moneygram in the usa was blocked on national security grounds Uh, world first of course has been in talks with ant financial since I think around late 2018, uh, and the deal would mark the largest expansion into Western markets by China's biggest mobile payments provider. Um, of course, World First closed out its U.S. operations in early February uh, in a move thought to uh, attempt to keep the deal alive, um, and World First U.S. will now be known as Omega. Uh, interesting one here, the national security angle they've taken, but I am also thinking that you know, sort of the, the Chinese payment-first, payment-driven scheme is also in a really interesting place, buying what is largely a remittance business. That struck me as interesting. What, what, are, what were your first reactions to this?
4: Well, at first I thought, wow, fintech is on the national security list. That's fantastic. Um, I, I do think it's right that it's scrutinized. Uh, I do think that, you know, with financial services growing the way it is and having to as access to as much data as it does have, we do need to think about who are going to be the ultimate owners of these institutions. Um, so I, I do think it's right that we look at it, um, or that the government looks at it. What I think we need to get past is the sentiment of kind of you know, nations battling it out in the private market. Mm-hmm. Um, and surely if you do have concerns about things, how can we mitigate them? Because surely you can't block out the global capital markets when fintechs are looking to mm. fundraise.
1: Yeah, some of the terminology in this around like allies and different things feels a bit sort of Cold War-ish, doesn't it? But uh, I agree, agree with what you're saying. I think it's a it's in a slightly ineventuality given the, how the sort of uh, – uh, you know borders kind of set up on this one to a certain degree is that given that there is so much money in you know particularly in places like uh china for for organizations like and financial then they are just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger in this space can regulation actually slow this down i, I, I clearly not in this case right
4: yeah well i mean it, it depends on who's allowed to do what where and does the company need to maintain certain you know physical presence or certain kind of mm-hmm. online presence through the cloud in, in various jurisdictions I yeah. think that needs to drive the decision making
1: I think all of that stuff will still be in place though and, it, and it, you know I don't think the overnight and I don't think that's really what people's fears are is it I think they'll still have to adhere to all of the um, the um, you know data protection acts that are in place and where data can be held in the jurisdiction mm-hmm that it's going to be held under but i guess it's not really about our regulations they'll adhere to those it's whether there's this sort of evil sort of <laughs> overlord kind of vibe so and that's how most of this stuff is kind of written isn't it it, it is written uh, from
0: a from quite a cynical angle um i i imagine some of the fears are founded, but at the same time, there are potential controls to that. The thing that struck me though is, is Ant Financial has been making, you know, sort of real progress in the Nordics, um, in the Netherlands and so on. Uh, It's already arrived in a lot of Western Europe and this sort of Chinese tourist um, population is seen as really valuable to many economies. So often with these things, trade is the answer, um, not the thing that you try to prevent. So it feels quite protectionist. Um, And then also the other thing that struck me is, If Ant Financial did find a beachhead into the UK market, they're a really interesting sort of um, group of companies and with really interesting group of capabilities. And what would that mean? Would we eventually see that model come into the UK where a tech company has really got finance Mm. for the first time? You can argue that way more than Amazon, if you're a bank and you're concerned about big techs, then Ant Financial is the case study. Mm. Very much. Already, um, no more thoughts on this one. I'll move us to the next story. Um, SoFi, so good. Um, story from American Banker. SoFi plans new lending products and a move into stock trading, which seems to be um, popular these days. So, um, Social Finance Inc. plans to expand the types of loans it offers and broaden its products, allowing customers to trade stocks and exchange traded funds on its platform this year. Uh, part of the letter to investors by the CEO uh, says, as part of our SoFi. Invest plans. We released an alpha version of the new brokerage platform, inviting employees and select members to buy or sell individual stocks. SoFi would be competing with uh, fintechs like Robinhood, Betterman, and Wealthfront, all of whom have been offering low-cost digital investing. Uh, SoFi's volume of loans, its most lucrative offering, has continued to decline, falling to $2.24 billion from $2.5 in the prior quarter and $3 billion the quarter before that. So um, interesting times for the peer-to-peer lending market.
2: Yeah, I would see this as um, looking... On a kind of ten-year arc, I think that lots and lots of fintechs want to be, let's call it the hub, want to be a sort of um, a broad offering to a set of very valuable consumers. And so, I think the the sort of end goal is very both very clear and very common across a lot of these companies. The question is, what what's the thin end of the wedge? Where do you start, and then what are the adjacencies, and how do you expand? Mm-hmm. So. For ourselves, it was a prepaid card and then the, cu- the current account at Monzo for Robinhood, it was stock trading. For SoFi, it was student lending. Um, and for, so for each one, you sort of have to assess what's like, if that was the thin end of the edge, what's, what's the next step? What's the adjacency? Mm. Um, and I think some of the US fintechs have found very lucrative markets, but with relatively infrequent engagement. Mm-hmm. So you take a big loan, that's great, you have an application process, you get the money, but beyond sort of throwing their occasional parties, like you, you just don't see the customer that often. Whereas something like you know, foreign exchange is another is another sort of route in, and the frequency there might be once or twice a year if you're a normal person or, or monthly if you're a very frequent traveler. Something like the current account is, a, is sort of daily engagement, or, but obviously with much higher kind of barriers to entry. So I think it's just interesting to look at those uh, sort of entry entry vectors that each each.
0: Why do you start in a certain? Area and and what are the pros and cons of starting in
1: those areas is a really interesting question. Well, we we talked about this a bunch of times before. It's like, is it a feature? Is it a product? And actually, if it is a product, can you actually make a business out of it? And, yeah. I, and I think to your point, that beachhead of where you start yeah. will allow you opportunities to move into various different spaces because it's it's just really about having the permission to talk to customers about other stuff, isn't it?
0: But I, but I look at somebody like Acorns, for instance, who you could argue were a feature, not a product. Um, or certainly, I've heard others argue that. So um, the uh, one or two dollars a month, and they link to your debit card, and then they'll round up all of your uh, kind of um, spend and put it into a savings for you. And 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 that sounds like okay, that's a feature I could have that on a current account. But what's super interesting is I can have it against any debit card, so it becomes an interesting vector into you know a, across the entire marketplace. And then the other thing is they they opened up uh, the ability to start um, moving from savings to investments, and of the three million customers within a, a month about a hundred thousand had flipped to the investment site so there is this interesting question about that again it's that time piece of um every day versus long term and it feels like so far i've come back the other way they've been more long term and they're coming back down towards every day because Robinhood have done quite well there
4: i think it also comes down to brand right so if your customers feel good about you um you could probably offer them more products uh, and but that to me sounds a little less fintechy doesn't it it, it kind of mm. sounds like the way the big companies compete but Ooh. i do think a lot of a lot of us are heading in that direction
2: is pensions a, a beachhead for i mean it's in the name but it's uh, is it do you see it as a beachhead or is the sort of long term focus no i mean focus?
4: we you know we are all about pensions and just pensions and we focus in on the uk yeah so we we are actually really really specialized, um, mm. but we think that within pensions there is so much to do because sure. it comes back to the beginning of the show, right? If you want to be offering real value to people, you need to go really really deep, mm. um, and and so that's been our approach rather than kind of trying to you know scratch the surface of of everything, yeah. which I think can provide value in and of itself, but. I think there's two ways to do it.
1: See, so, yeah, I, I completely agree with you on the 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 point about actually it's the relationship. And I think this is what many really big organizations kind of miss in that sort of feature parity, you know, the the kind of um, leveling on the laddering of like somebody's done freezer card, I'll do freezer card, this type of stuff. Because actually, like we did Save the Change at um, uh, Lloyds Banking Group like way back in the day. And actually, it isn't about the feature. It's about all of the communication and the, ca- and the catering and just having the brands that you can engage people with on that type of thing mm-hmm. and not worrying that you're just trying to dick somebody over at the, in the process. So, you know, I, I like that idea, but I still, I'd still still say Acorns is a, it's a feature that they're looking for a business around mm-hmm. because until they actually sort of take it to the, the next step in terms of investable, you know, seriously investable income at scale, uh, then actually it's it's almost, that like it's, you know, it's small fry looking for an, the next thing really.
0: And that was was what interested me. So the average customer is, um, is 30 to 35 Five and has around twenty thousand saved with them U.S. dollars. So that was really interesting. So it seems like their thesis is is paying off. Mm. Uh, certainly in the stats that I saw, their stats could have changed, in that. and that may have. And the other one is, uh, you know, Robinhood and now has four point uh, about four million customers. Acorn, Acorns now has four and a half million. Yes, the U.S. market is a lot bigger than the U.K., but the entire um, robo advisor industry globally has eight point two million customers. So. I'm mean, mean the scale of that is really significant Mm -hmm. so again getting close to every day seems
1: there seems to be something in that that's really interesting it's interesting so many people are investing in creating stocks and share stuff now as well like i wonder how much of this is like off the back of all of the craziness with cryptocurrency, people are like, okay, I like the thing like that, but give me something like that that's not mental.
2: I think Robinhood have also um, done really well in Have that. you seen the, the stock markets over the last six months? Yeah. That's good. <laughs> okay, trade.
0: slightly less mental. Than yeah, but free it. trade have, have, have actually come and built a community and yeah. done something really interesting. And, you know, there's all of the challenges with an execution-only platform, but there's also a community around it. So it's a really interesting model. I was listening to a great podcast with... Um
2: Where
1: Warren Buffett listened to other podcasts, Tom.
0: I'm I'm sorry, how dare you? I've cheated on you.
2: Um, Where Warren Buffett bet a hedge fund manager um, over a 10 year period whether basically just a low cost index fund would outperform hedge funds, Hmm. and over the last 10 years, the index fund won hands down, something like 65 or 70 percent gain versus about a 20 percent gain for hedge funds. So this idea that you can sort of pick stocks or beat the market, uh, I think is just false, and so I. I really, I find it very interesting seeing where the platforms go for just a kind of a low, ultra, ultra low cost index versus, yeah, you know, picking your own smart beta.
4: It really depends on the market environment that you're in. So over 2008 to 2018, we had sort of spectacular market performance. But mm. if you look at performance in the last quarter of you know, the last quarter of last year, in particular, stock markets did horribly. Mm -hmm. And actually, hedge funds did quite okay. Mm. So a lot depends on the external macro environment, too. And these things tend to come in and out of favor.
0: And your time horizon as an investor. And
4: your time horizon as an investor. Yeah, I I think generally, controlling cost is a good idea.
0: Uh, I think that's a fair point. All right, on that note, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back shortly.
3: (laughs) Sam afford the latest smartphone while she's at university. It must cost her parents a fortune to send her there. Oh, she's fine.
1: She can just borrow the cash and pay it back when she bags a high-powered graduate job.
3: Well, the tuition fees alone must be nearly £30,000.
1: Well, she'll be earning a lot more than that after a couple of years.
3: But imagine starting your career with £60,000 worth of debt.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you could buy plenty of
1: smartphones with that.
3: Millennials, future consumers or debt slaves, don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash join us.
2: Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation, and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation, and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation
0: journey today with Finastra. Welcome back to Fintech Insider from the lovely people at 11FS. Here at 11FS, for 2019, we wanted to choose a charity to support uh, going forwards in everything we do. And after shortlisting six causes, um, as an office, we collectively decided to target Mind, uh, one of the UK's leading charities for mental health awareness. Mind provides invaluable support to anybody who suffers from mental health illness or challenges uh, by campaigning to improve services and promoting understanding. Um, So how can you help? Uh, If you haven't already, please visit our lovely, lovely swag shop at uh, the 11FS website uh, to bag your very own branded FinTech Insider t-shirt. That's at shop.11fs.com. As well as looking super cool, all proceeds do go directly to Mind. So that's shop.11fs.com. Alternatively, you can take GIVI 88 to 70070 with your chosen amount. I'll say that again because you were probably listening whilst commuting. Um, and if you want to catch that, it's GIVI 88 to 770 with your chosen amount. All right, let's crack on with the show. Before we get back into the headlines, we want to talk about the RBS Remedies Fund. If you've not heard of this, um, well, we'll talk about it uh, on and off as we go through uh, the next few weeks, I'm sure. But uh, our 11FS Head of Delivery, Adam Davies, gives us a little bit of background.
3: So this all dates back to the aftermath of the financial crisis around 2008 when RBS was bailed out by the UK government by proxy of the UK taxpayer to the tune of around 45 billion. In return for the UK government purchasing RBS shares post-crisis, the bank agreed to a number of conditions, one of which was to split and spin off a part of its business to encourage competition. So plan A was to resurrect the Williams and Bland, and the transformation effort that went into that over the subsequent years was massive. However, it didn't go too well. Interesting choices around technology, architecture and the procurement of an array of vendors meant that a lot of money was spent, but the desired outcome wasn't achieved, which was ultimately to produce a new bank with over 300 branches and an existing portfolio of customers to essentially spin off. So, plan B, the remedies package. A lump sum of funding was to be handed out to an independent body, which is the Banking Commission Remedies Body, or BCR, headed by Lord Godfrey Cromwell, who chairs the all-party parliamentary group on fair business banking. Aside from serving the purpose of RBS meeting its obligations, the Remedies Package is meant to drive competition in the UK banking market for small businesses. So, we're about to get complex. There are two main elements to this funding. First is a capability and innovation fund totalling 425 million, and the second is an incentivised switching fund totalling 275 million. A portion of the capability and innovation fund is what was decided on Friday. The full fund, that's the 425 million one, has been split into four pools, which banks and non banks have been invited to apply for, with the winners announced up until the summer. Pool A, which was the one on Friday was split between a first prize of 120 million, a second prize of 100 million, and third prize of 60 million. It was designed for firms who already offer business accounts, which meant newer entrants to the market would seemingly be at an instant disadvantage. The other pools going forward are of significantly less value, but still very reasonable.
0: Wow, those are some big numbers. Thank you very much to Adam. Um. Before I get into that, like those are some really big numbers, Tom. Like, mm.
2: what could, you could do a lot with that, right? Yeah. So, in context, uh, we have raised uh, at Monzone, It's actually our, our four-year anniversary today, I believe, or at Ooh, least we're having our four-year, uh, our four-year anniversary party tonight. Whether or not it's, it's actually to the day, we've spent about a hundred million mm-hmm. so far in four years to get a banking license to build. Full top-to-bottom banking technology stack and acquire 1.5 million users for 100 million. So, it's a it's a significant amount, but I think 100 million in the right hands should really go a long way to. Uh, to providing real change in the market. Or you could buy one-seventh uh-huh. of uh, of Santander's IBM budget. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: indeed, you could. Um, but there's some big banks that have been involved in this too, right? So ostensibly it's about competition, but Santander entered, then withdrew. Um, we've seen Virgin money has been absorbed by CYBG reducing the field by two. Um, and then, of course, uh, in the field um, bef- before the winners were announced was Tide and ClearBank pairing up to yep. make um, the most of each other's strengths. Um, before we get into the rest, w- what do you think about
2: this pairing up idea? It seems a little unconventional, if I'm honest. Um, it feels like Tide is trying to qualify for pool a without being a bank. And one of the criteria for Poulet is that you are a, A, you're a bank with business current accounts live. And so they're trying to sort of, they have a, on one hand, a clear bank, a bank, and on the other, Tide, a non-bank with business accounts Sort of push them together and sort of, Pretend you qualify. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Starling are actually looking really strong in Pool A. Um, they, they got their business accounts live early to, to qualify. Monzo, in full transparency, is applying for Pool B, which is for regulated banks who do not yet have a, mm-hmm. uh, a business current account offering.
0: And. and- Talk to me. Since you, you 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 say that, what what do you look at as the opportunity in the small business sector in, in the UK? What what's underserved and looking opportunity, you know, like
2: valuable or something you could do? I think it's a huge opportunity. And honestly, when we're starting Monzo, it was almost a coin toss whether we focus on retail or, mm-hmm. or business first. Um, and we've just we've got our first few dozen business accounts live as of last week, I believe. And the amount of latent demand is, was really astonishing. And just the the problems are even worse than retail, I I suspect. So for example, it's very, very common that it takes several months to open a bank account. And it's just very, very simple. You start a new business, you've got, you've succeeded in getting some clients, but you have nowhere to get paid because you Mm. can't open your account. We had this crazy sort of um, situation at Monzo when we were starting out that we were trying to open a bank account to start a bank. You can imagine how that conversation went with the sort of the business account manager at the bank we chose. And we... It took us weeks and weeks and weeks. We finally got the account open and deposited a couple of million pounds of seed funding. And then we asked for a plastic card, which is not unreasonable. We'd like to spend some of this money. But, oh, we have to go to the credit committee now to get a credit card. We're like, no, we don't, don't want a credit card. Just a just debit card is fine. No, we only issue credit cards. Fine, whatever. We'll take a credit card. We went to the credit committee and failed the credit checks because we're a new company. Said we, we, we can't give you a credit card because you're not credit worthy despite us having two million pounds deposited in the account. Just like... Every single step is way more painful than it needs to be. We were you like, checkbook, maybe? <laughs> just <laughs> something. Let me get this out. Come oh, God, it was astonishing. So I think there's just a huge amount you can do. I think in The long term, the vision is very similar. To be the the sort of hub of a business's uh, financial life, really. To connect into invoicing, payroll, mm-hmm. uh, accounts receivable, accounts payable. All of the different um, sort of disparate functions that should be connecting through a bank account. But where in reality today the banking account is sort of a black hole of data. Yeah. Really it should be the operating system for the finance team in a company. And,
0: and David, there's there's uh, I guess there's a small business is not the same thing. There's lots of
1: different types of small businesses. Where do you think the opportunity is? I think various different. Like you can yeah. start in various different places. I guess the difficulty for for people like you, Tom, is actually sort of starting uh, from that higher end. You know, you've got to sort of start at the very sort of low end of the. Uh, I've just started a business, yep. therefore my, the complexity of my my business is very low, and therefore mm-hmm. you're going to grow the product as the the complexities of the the customers that you've got grow. Yeah, because I, I think that's the 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 challenge really is. You know, we've got it. It feels like you're just a such a cruel world's sort of view of how RBA like i i personally feel like this is the weirdest punishment i've seen in banking it's like it's one stepper sh- sort of head of them just sort of stripped naked and sort of being told to shout shame as they're walking along the streets <laughs> i'm think RBS are really happy
2: with this actually yeah yeah because they the the bill for williams and glynn 1.7 billion pounds spent and so now they're saying we'll just give a, bi- a billion away and we can cut our losses at that i think they're Super happy to have washed their hands of it all, frankly. So that's 17 times more than it cost to build Monzo. <laughs> Just yes. for context. Yeah. That was written off. To deliver nothing.
0: Okay. Let's just let that hang for a sec. Uh, Rumi, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what are your thoughts on on the whole Remedies Fund situation and the SME market generally, having started a business that's now in financial services?
4: Well, I I mean, I I was thinking about our experience opening a bank account as as you were speaking, and we haven't a bank with Silicon Valley Bank, Mm. so... I think if you do start in the right place, you can get yourself a decent bank account that connects with zero, which I think is the primary requirement.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> it really is.
4: Isn't it? Um, and I, think, has- I think
1: Gary listening will definitely be happy with you yeah, saying no, that. Gary Turner, <laughs> yeah. uh,
4: and, and of course, you know, having that that connectivity and that transparency over your money, I think I, I think it's really necessary. I, I struggle to think, you know, beyond the financial products that you can get as a banking customer, like what more can my bank do for me? Um, and I'd love to hear kind of, you know, what what you think the bank should be doing for the business.
2: I think it's about data connectivity, actually. I, I, I don't necessarily think it's about what the bank does, but when you can connect the data in real time in the account with all of those other systems. I mean, Providing a data feed into zero is nice, but that's a very low bar. Of sort of what you can achieve, mm-hmm. I think. Um, sort of much, much smarter invoicing. I think could be really, really interesting. Um, I mean, payroll is just absolutely broken, and it doesn't need to be. It basically, should be a free commodity service. So, I think there's just a huge amount interesting fact about Silicon Valley Bank. We, um, my old company, CoCard, was opened an account with them, and I they were okay but the web i think that their web interface is still very poor which is ironic Mm. um interesting fact though they bank so many entrepreneurs in silicon valley who after they've sold their company go on to with bizarre regularity buy vineyards in napa (laughs) and so silicon valley bank has one of the best wine sellers of northern californian red wine that you will find in the entire world because they just take sort of uh very small batch um, production of, of red wine. It's absolutely great. Wow. Next time you see them, ask for a, a I bottle. I
3: definitely will. <laughs> it turns out that's the peak of Maslow's hierarchy <laughs> <It,
0: laughs> Today it, I
1: learned. It doesn't come with every bank account opened, no. it's. Uh, uh, I don't
4: know about every bank
1: account. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, our, our experience opening up a bank for 11FS was the same. It took three months. And, like, literally us having to get in touch with the person who ran – the commercial division of that bank because we knew them yeah. to get the bank account open, which is yeah. mental. So,
2: and it just, that's just insane. When you, I can totally understand if you're applying for a hundred million pounds of credit, for example, that could take a little amount of time. But and should. to simply open your basic account with very low spending limits and get a plastic card, it's just- the risks involved there are so low if you as long as you're not funneling millions and millions of pounds through
0: i think that's it. it's the materiality of the risk versus the level of control and the complexity of the process like yeah. sometimes people view having a really hard process as preventing risk and it's yep. not really uh, it's just preventing customers from getting your product which is which is kind of daft so i recently opened a bank account for a not-for-profit um uh, that, that i'm working with and, and helping out and my goodness, the level of new complexity that introduced—we we, we needed to put three hundred thousand pounds in the bank account. It's a not-for-profit. The people that are running it and on the board have run several not-for-profits and are really well-known and have had, had bank accounts with them previously. All the same sort of problems. I, I guess there's a lot to do, but also it's—it's like I think your point about the integration is a low bar. Like, imagine what experience I could build if I could access that data in a different way, or even if I could um, get my arms around the experience a lot yep. more. I think that product side is where things get really interesting.
4: Yes, absolutely. I, I do also think that it's a space where a human relationship manager actually does start to make sense because things do go wrong. Mm. Um, what if they bank. didn't? What if they didn't? Yeah, but sometimes they do, and and if they with do with your existing
2: banks, <laughs> yeah. but what if they don't? Like, I, I mean, you're probably right, but I would suggest for ninety five percent of the case, it's just just make it work and get out of my way with a absolutely.
4: Mm. But sometimes you do need a human being, um, and I think especially with business banking, where the stakes just feel a lot higher, um, especially with, if it's your business. Uh, I think having a human voice on the other side. I is think there's something about the comfort that,
0: yeah. that, that that can give you at times.
1: I, I think definitely sometimes you need a human, but it's how you get to that human, right? So actually, I think there's there's very few instances where, in fact, I'm almost at the like I start to think I don't like talking to people. Do you know what I mean? Like it's at that point where I'm like I will avoid talking to human beings because like why would you, right?
0: And, and I think there's uh, there's a lot of. Uh, people in banks that haven't realized that they have a customer that feels like that Mm. I think the assumption is the customer only wants to speak to people because that was the only service they offer and there are without question many many businesses who do want that but it doesn't mean there aren't businesses that don't
1: I I do think there's a thing here about uh, because I I I agree with you it's like actually well we were looking like I got zero I got you know we was like we've got a customer we've got a company like where do we put this money type thing and that was the hard thing but actually you know many of the banks that are just running to integrating into other stuff are essentially. Essentially, to your point, kind of giving away the opportunity that is actually allowing people, you know, fueling people to make better decisions via their bank. Because actually, that's the, you know, that's the thing that uh, is is gapingly missing is business banking is essentially just retail banking. Yep. They kind of have the cheek to charge you for it. But they offer you no value over and above what they're doing in retail at all.
0: Which could be, this may make more sense um, as a loan. This is a better way to do foreign exchange. There's, there's, or or typically, even if it's not advice, typically you would see that the default here is this and you can guide in a different way. yeah.
1: Yeah, but the, you know, the difference of like, you know, going into your overdraft as a retail customer or, you know, pushing yourself beyond your means from a cash flow perspective and going bankrupt is like you know we we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in on 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 air which is really hard to say yeah. like uh, yeah. um but um you know the reasons why businesses fail are mainly dumb things that they could have avoided and we said it at a time it's like you can't avoid people having dumb ideas for businesses but you can avoid them uh you can help them avoid doing stupid things to actually run themselves aground right
4: Yeah, I mean, I struggled to see how your bank is going to help you make hiring decisions though, or sort of, you know, design your business model for you. (laughs) Well, they won't
1: necessarily design your business model, but they will say whether you can hire or not. And they'll say whether you can buy that piece of equipment or they'll say whether that person who is always doing the, you know, paying you three weeks late, you should chase quicker because essentially, you know, they're probably dicks and they're not going to pay you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I think all of this intelligence is where this, you know, it goes back to that service thing. You that's know, the service for me.
4: Yeah, yeah, I think there could actually be a role for budgeting. I mean, I think that's that's a fair one.
2: Yeah, or invoicing. So my previous company, GoCardless, um, is used by a lot of businesses that are invoicing other businesses. And by setting up a direct debit that basically just lets them yank money out of mm-hmm. the account, they reduce their sort of um, time payable on invoices from something like 75 days to about 15 days on average, just massively speed up cash mm-hmm. flow. And these, these businesses aren't sophisticated enough to be having a strategy to, like, not pay their suppliers on time. They're just lazy or got better things to be doing, and you just oh, automate I it. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, some of them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you're lots of procurement departments in banks. Like, I'm pretty sure there's, there's some I'm shit sure. going down. The
2: really big ones are, are super sophisticated yeah. about this. But when you're a coffee roaster and you're trying to get the cafes to pay you, it's just like, oh, I just, it's, it's lying different. on my desk. I haven't very got true. to it's it. Very it's a very different true. beast. All right,
0: um, without further ado, um. let's hear who the winners are.
1: Well thank you very much past Simon that's good to be passed forward to future David well this is weird Um, but breaking news as any of you avid listeners will know the majority of the show is actually recorded every Thursday and we've woken up this Friday morning to really find out who the winners of the uh, announcements around the RBS Remedies Fund has been so first up we had Metro Bank which got the top spot and got 120 million from the fund next up was Starling with 100 million and and in third place was the collaboration between Tide and ClearBank, who got 60 million in, in the piece. So congratulations to all of those winners. It's really interesting to see the, the people who have been successful in this and actually equally the people who haven't been successful. So we've seen CYBG uh, and uh, TSB n- not get any of these slots, which is pretty surprising given the scale in the, uh, of the, their operations and already the impact that they actually have on on the market. I think the thing that's uh, come back through to, to me was, um, the aspiration that was set out by Metro, Starling, Tide and Clearbank in terms of not just the fact that they've had impact in the market, but what it is that they plan on doing with this money and the the impact that they actually see the, the investment having to their business and more importantly to those end consumers in terms of the, the SMEs that will be actually consuming the services. So congratulations to all of those winners, commiserations to the people who haven't got this investment, but I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how this supercharges the SME space over the next few years back to you simon
0: well congratulations to all those winners um next story though um chase goes down customers report difficulty accessing chase Chase Bank's mobile and online banking. Um, So they were having problems on uh, last Friday. So that would be, as you're listening to this, that would have been on the, what, 15th? Um, And the statement uh, released on Twitter, Chase support confirmed that some customers are having trouble accessing the mobile app and our website. And they said, we want to let you know we're working on it. Uh, Thank you for your patience. And according to Down Detector, people in Los Angeles, Houston, Phoenix, Seattle, New York, and more were reporting The outage, another outage story. These seem to be getting more and more common.
4: And see, how great would it be if you had someone to call when you have that outage?
2: I'm not sure they could do much to help, honestly. (laughs) Uh, it
4: depends on what you need, right? So if you are in a time-critical situation, as a lot of people will be in their lives making big, Mm -hmm. you know, financial decisions, and you need access to your data, and and if things are down, who's going to help you?
2: Yeah, I think if I had a choice between the system just working or being able to call a human when the system was down, I'd I'd always choose the former.
4: Of course, but oftentimes, and even with some of the newer banks, right, the systems do go down.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, I think it's good to, you know, I don't call Amazon often, but when I do, I know there's somebody to talk Absolutely. to, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's interesting with with the Chase example here. And like, you know, we're talking about Los Angeles, Houston, Phoenix, like these are no small places. Like the amount of people that are actually being affected by this is ridiculous. So, you know, I, I wonder if even if they had a, you know, 10,000 person call center, mm-hmm. so sort of, mm-hmm. I'm not sure they'd be able to deal with this, would they at the scale? And, and to be honest here, like the examples that we've seen where this stuff's happened, like having somebody to talk to didn't help TSB very much, did it? In no. the context of, so it's like just having somebody well, to talk it, it, to.
4: It depends on how serious the problem is, right? That's I very think true. Having someone to talk to is not going to solve TSB's problem. Uh, but <laughs> very true. I think for an intermittent shutdown, I think knowing that you have good customer support standing behind that is really valuable to a customer. Sure. I think
2: looking at, sort of more broadly across the industry this is a an issue we are seeing more and more of and we will continue to see more of so last year we saw outages at mastercard visa and faster payments Mm -hmm. just like systemically important payment schemes and most of the major banks had outages i think monzo had outages so banking is a technology business whether you like it or not and i think um interesting to see how both banks and regulators respond to that challenge. Well, I think what's interesting is what's changed is it's more and
0: more headline news when it happens. It always used to happen, but it didn't seem that we're in a right now um, immediate economy in the way that somehow mobile has introduced to us. So, you know, the, the impact of things being down is is much greater. So I think there's something to that. But also down um, is, is this binary definition of the website doesn't work, the mobile app doesn't work, rather than a bit of or some of the capability inside the mobile app doesn't work, mm. Increasingly, you see um, challenges and big techs Sometimes yes, the big techs do go down, but then sometimes just a bit of it doesn't work in some areas, and they get a little status message and I think yep. that's an interesting sort of thing that uh, the big banks don't seem as able to do it's it either is down or it's not they don't have oh sorry, this isn't working right now we'll <laughs> we'll come back to you when it is
2: and we'll keep you informed and all mm-hmm. of this sort of stuff graceful degradation of service I think mm-hmm. that's awesome. the term I was looking for it, it relies on modern technology architecture basically, and when you are running a massive monolith on your IBM mainframe, um, <laughs> it's very hard to do a, a sort of control degradation. It's it's more or less, it's all on or it's all off.
0: And I think the customer benefit of uh, having that additional ability to communicate uh, really does come from having a different technology stack that is more modern. And I don't know that people have made the link between one and two. And, it's, sure. a, it's, a, and it's an advantage of having a modern stack.
4: Absolutely. I also think it's a matter of communications. And oftentimes, the big guy's response will be, Let's try and stay quiet and see if anyone will notice.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's this big corporate PR statement exactly, rather exactly. than the lurid detail of things that we're going through for a technical audience that you know most people won't read but the ones that do really care yes, about.
4: Yes and I I have found that when you know Anything has gone wrong with the fintech company. Usually, the response you get is pretty heartfelt and it's introspective, um, and it really gives a reason as to why something has happened. Uh, and I think the customers expect that these days.
0: It's an authenticity, and when you've experienced authenticity from a company, to then not experience it from another one is jarring.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, there are there are a few examples lately of that not being the case, right? <laughs> but, but no, I think I think on, on the whole, definitely, I think uh, you know people kind of respond in a in a slightly different way, don't they? But like is this fixed now though or is there just like you know 10% 10% of Americans just can't access uh, banking now. I, no, I believe it was fixed yeah. Yeah, within a short space of time. Well, that's good then. they yeah. Did they turn it on and off again? Or? Yeah,
0: it was just a plug. Um, it? You <laughs> just got to go into the it. power socket every time. Um, so next story, YOLT means business. Uh, story comes from an extra. Of course, money management app YOLT is moving beyond consumers, bringing its open banking API to businesses across Europe in time for the remedies, maybe, who knows. Um, ING-owned YOLT is a free app that lets some 500,000 registered users in uh, the UK Italy and France view their bank accounts and credit cards in one place um, and YOLT for Business will offer a single API that covers account aggregation services and payment initiation. Their chief business officer said we will make and manage and maintain all of the connections saving businesses time and money. I guess it speaks to what you were talking about earlier Tom about the the opportunity to to manage some of that data. Um, Any thoughts on this one uh, David? uh,
4: I think it's really exciting so we are partnered with YOLT um, in the in the retail space, and I think seeing their service evolve towards businesses can only mean good things for businesses. I think that you know, open banking is in the infancy mm-hmm. um, of its usage, and I think you know, giving businesses access to that functionality can only help it spread, and that's a good thing.
0: I've always been surprised by Yolt, um, in for a couple of reasons. One, um, big bank does a fintech thing, spins it out under a new brand. And is pretty successful in yeah. the process. And two, account aggregation by itself um, as a standalone app has appears to, from their numbers, be really, really popular. Those two things would not have been hypotheses I would have put out, but that seems to be the case here.
2: Yeah, uh, I would. Ag- I'd agree with both. I. Um, it is rare to see that success. I think. Ac- I'm not sure half a million customers is is breakout success, but it's nice to see some mm. some level of customer engagement. Right, I find it interesting. All
1: right, all right Tom, we have 1.5 million. Not everybody's got a million <laughs> and a half no, customers. customers. Uh, but
2: <laughs> when you're providing those kind, you're not signing up people for a bank. You're, you're signing up for a view-only so, yes. yeah. sort of account aggregation app, and so you you should look at companies like Clio doing really really mm. well in the states. Uh, far surpass those numbers already. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I think that is interesting. The other thing I found interesting is they're going more into sort of this B2B providing aggregating APIs. A lot lot more like Yodley or Plaid, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, which is uh, interesting to see.
1: I I think it's, uh, you know, great they've got that many customers from a retail perspective. I'm just not actually sure I see the need for this in the business sense. Like how many businesses have multiple current accounts and multiple, multiple business credit cards like, that's, that feels like well, you need to kind of sort your operation out and actually, like, consolidate your operation to not have multiple credit lines across all of these different things.
4: Not necessarily. I mean, if you are a business... The way that you are protected is quite different to the way that you are protected as a consumer. Mm-hmm. So as a consumer, you know, you can have a good 50, 60, you know, 70 K at a bank mm. and, and you are covered. Sure. Um, as a business, that's not the case. And if you do have a large amount of cash and you do want to manage risk, you probably do want to get several different bank accounts. Um, I think that the functionality that will be enabled through the business offering is more than just the account aggregation. Mm. Um, and it will be the ability to let businesses use open banking for various other innovative reasons. Yeah, and I can I, think of a lot of things that you can do with that data.
1: But I th- but I think if you were going to do that, you would be doing it through savings accounts, wouldn't you? Essentially, because so, essentially you want to put that money to, to work, wouldn't you? And and that that makes total sense. But I, but I think the the remit of this is credit cards and current accounts mm-hmm. because essentially, I, I guess it's almost like you'd squirrel it away to make sure that if everything bad happened you'd spread the bet across as many people as possible but it's um it's interesting it'll be interesting to see how many people actually use this one or not it
0: will be well we uh, spoke to leon news the chief business officer at yolt to find out more
5: in a way, was a natural progression for Yold because since we launched and started YOLT in 2016, we've been working really hard together with the CMA9 the banks and open banking entities to deliver YOLT as a leading app at the forefront of open banking. And we've always championed open banking and welcomed it. And that has resulted in us being the first TPP back in September 2018 to connect all the CMA9 banks and all the brands underneath uh, on the open banking APIs, which is now resulting in the fact that we do over 4.2 million API calls on a weekly basis, still accounting for the vast majority of traffic in open banking. So that meant that Yolt for Business was a natural next step uh, because we build up the capability and expertise over the past year and. We are now exposing this capability to others, and in this way, unlocking open banking capabilities to other businesses across Europe. So through one single and secure API connection to Yield for Business, we will offer account information services, payment initiation services, and more. So essentially, we make, manage, and maintain all the open banking connections, allowing the businesses to focus on what they do best, that's their business, and then saving them time and money on the aggregation front. YOLT for Business is a service offering. So we are allowing other parties to leverage our technology to power their business with access to open banking APIs. And this means that businesses can connect to the Yield for Business API to have access to our European API catalog, which we are expanding on a daily basis. Yeah, so what's next is that, obviously, we want to focus on providing a clear, secure, and solid solution to our clients. So while at the same time, we are expanding our API reach across Europe with the arrival of PSD2 APIs. And next to this, we will be continuously evolving and developing the service that we can offer to our clients. So also looking at value-added services on top of this data.
0: Alrighty. Thank you very much to Leon. And our final story this week is a NatWest call handler channeling their inner Piers Morgan. Um, so story comes from Sky News and a NatWest call handler told a customer, vegans should be punched in the face, which um, just what a quote. Um, so a NatWest customer was told vegans should be punched in the face when she applied for a £400 loan to make a vegan nutrition course. And that went... Sp- uh, spokesman said we're extremely sorry for the way the customer was treated by a member of our staff and we apologize for the distress and upset this behavior caused these comments were wholly inappropriate and we have commenced disciplinary proceedings uh, the independent reported that nat west has uh, offered the woman 185 pounds in compensation and paid for her 400 pound course. so it has a happy ending at least but my goodness um, we were talking a lot about the need for humans earlier so long as they're good humans I guess is, is <laughs> yes, the key
4: Absolutely, the
0: importance of every touch point this was a fun story for the week
4: I mean, it's interesting that we're discussing it um I remember a few years back I was reading a story about you know a woman in a call center received a call and it was a complaint from a customer because her credit cards had been blocked and she'd just broken up with her fiance because the fiance was cheating on her and she needed the credit card to work because she was moving out of the flat. So quite a, you know, quite an emotionally mm. charged situation. Um, and the, the call, you know, the call center handler sent the woman some flowers and said he doesn't know what he's missing out on. And the story went absolutely viral. Wow. Um, and it, it does, it, it's a slightly different story just telling yeah. a vegan that you know they deserve to be punched in the face but i think the <laughs> fact that we are discussing the way that customer service makes us feel and makes customers feel is actually really significant
0: and, and that to me is the point here that if you're going to take something from it like uh there's the social uh, kind of changing of the tide, everything from the vegan sausage roll to Nike's Colin Kaepernick advert, and, and actually now brands need to stand for something. Um, but also um, that sort of difficulty I think a large bank has of of communicating with authenticity and therefore why they have the corporate front end is because I think for a long time uh, the call center was a cost to be reduced, rather than an opportunity and we have seen traditional banks do that well first direct for a long time you know employed people with a real sense of empathy and, and did well in that space so it's not like it's a you know, it's, it's a thing that you have you have to have new tech to be a good human that's not the case <laughs> at all um but i just found that interesting i mean any other, any
1: reflections on this one david I just think it shows you can think something, but don't say it. I mean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all righty. That, uh, that wraps up this week's news show. Thank you so much
2: to all of our guests. Uh, Tom, where can people find out more about you and Monzo? Uh, you can find out online at monzo.com or Monzo on the iOS or Google app stores. Thank you very much. How about you, good self,
4: Uh You can find us on pensionbee.com or also in the app store.
0: Brilliant. How about you, David. Uh, david at 11fs.com and you can find me simon at 11fs.com and do let us know what you thought of today's stories Uh, you can let us know by emailing me directly simon at 11fs.com or you can let me know on twitter at fintechinsiders and don't forget if you love the show please please leave us a review
5: bye for now